Hello, everyone. I'm Trent Luce. Welcome to another edition of Rural Routes, the program where we gather every day at this time. Well, Dr. Ted Fogarty, we do it Monday through Friday anyway. And what we do when we gather is continue to address the issues between rural and urban America. I have had dedicated guests on this program like Hank Vogler, who back in the old days when communication was tough out in the desert of Nevada, he would drive to a sweet spot, like 20 miles, just to join me on the air. Ted Fogarty, I think, is trying to outdo Hank Vogler. He drove to a sweet spot. The North Dakota State Capitol is behind him. Good morning, Dr. Fogarty. Good morning, Trent. You, you had to create this wonderful optics just for us. I appreciate that. Well, you know, just having a little fun in America. Except on a red shirt Friday, you're wearing the, the most blue of, of blue caps I've ever seen. Well, it's for the uh, Omaha College World Series. That's the 2015 oh. College World Series ball cap. Yeah, I kind of forgot about that Creighton influence in you. So you're wearing, you're sneaking the Creighton colors <laughs> in your conference Friday, aren't you? <laughs> Go Blue Jays. You got it. So I, I coined this in the description that uh, we know that political uh, entities are being censored. Censorship of social media has now become a, a daily conversation. But we've reached a whole new level if, in fact, the censorship is going to the medical community because one medical uh, procedure is not favored by the powers that be. That, that has to be made up. The, the medical community has to be dedicated to improving human lives through medicine, not just pursuing greater profits. Right, Ted? Yeah, that's, that's basically the Hippocratic Oath in a nutshell. Um, you know, we, we have to um, divorce ourselves as physicians from, you know, uh, too much profit motive. And that's regulated within uh, federal non-for-profit laws and state non-for-profit laws and you know, in the state of Nebraska, um, you can lose your license for taking a bribe as a physician, but there's other states where that's not actually legally enacted. But yeah, the the, the bottom line for us as physicians is that um, it is our art, it is our oath to put forth um, healing endeavors, which are going to benefit our patients directly. And in my implementation, I guess, of Hippocratic oath-taking, um, from an economic perspective, I've always tried to um, put out science and research and innovations in Northern Plains medicine that will decrease, actually, hopefully, the costs of care. And so... Um, uh, I, I, I don't want to mention the platform, which we might be broadcasting on live today because right. I've been censored from it for seven days for posting a, uh, just a little media piece out of a Connecticut, um, local news station. And, um, there is a very big and very important study that was done at NYU in New York city this summer on the use of hyperbaric oxygen chambers to um, treat severe COVID-19. And this was a phase one uh, trial, which the researchers were able to show in the 20, 
in the 20 patients that were studied who uh, were otherwise should have been on ventilators, mm-hmm. they, they lost two of them. And this is in a municipality of our, you know, world's finest internal medicine and critical care docs. And um, at a time period in the early pandemic when New York um, critical care physicians were losing 80% of their patients. And so uh, it was, it's a revolutionary innovation in a state where there were all these demands for 50,000 ventilators and um, all kinds of massive, you know, industrial medical uh, uh, equipment and emergency use authorizations for the um, the ventilators, but no emergency use authorizations came through for the hyperbaric chambers. And uh, these are the most important uh, medical devices on the planet, in my professional opinion, because they simply, uh, you know, uh, give us the the equation, so to speak, of w- of how energy matters at the cellular level. And so um, cutting off the gas supply of oxygen to the cells, which is what COVID-19 really does at a molecular uh, capillary level when, when the infection sets in to the capillaries and blocks the transport of the red blood cells into all these various vascular territories, including the brain, uh, our patients are losing oxygen availability. And you can very simply, through just the laws of physics, you know, kind of brute force, uh, dissolve oxygen into every tissue of the human body mm-hmm. when you're in a hyperbaric environment, a hyperbaric chamber, at two atmospheres and 100% oxygen, you have 10 times as much oxygen dissolved in your blood plasma and in every tissue uh, of your body. And so that's, that's the gas nutrient that all these critical care patients need in their bodies uh, when they're suffering from severe COVID. And so uh, it's just, it's, it was, it's, it was a phenomenal breakthrough right out of New York city medicine. And so, um, you know, I've, I've had contact with the research team and um, participated in an international um, teleconference to generate awareness about this phase one study Um, before it was published. And, um, you know, sadly, uh, we have have this amazing opportunity to um, really uh, save tons of lives across America if every governor uh, would basically mandate the use of hyperbaric chambers in clinical medicine. And, and, you know, the other irony is that hyperbaric chambers are already approved by the FDA for 14 different indications. And uh, we were going to talk with Dr. Mickey Kime today, the godfather of hyperbaric medicine from the great state of Nebraska. Um, <laughs> but uh, we couldn't get that uh, well, communication we will, link we will get that done. But, but we'll do that in the future. So but um, just, to, to, yeah, just to sum up. Um, go ahead. We, we, we have the answer to severe COVID-19 and 
and carbon dioxide, carbon monoxide poisoning, which we know in the Northern Plains happens, you know, to ice fishermen and farmers in the winter. Um, that is a, a very easy translational model uh, for us as physicians to understand what's really going on at uh, various capillary levels with the, the block of oxygen transfer um, from a chemical, uh, carbon monoxide, is, uh, you know, translationally similar to what's going on with the pathophysiology of COVID-19 with the, the loss of oxy- oxygenation. So there's, there's already a, technically a legal billing and, and um, a medical um, pathway of translation uh, right through what we already use hyperbaric chambers for in the needs of patients who cannot oxygenate themselves by other means. Uh, in in other diseases, so uh, to, to me, as just simple logic would say, you know, why why isn't this a a warp speed issue? Why isn't this a fast track yeah. issue for uh, everyone? I, to... I mean, in a summary, Ted, you've just told us in the first segment that you have the answer to fixing COVID, and anybody who talks about the answer is being censored. Is that an oversimplification? Uh, no. Um, that's exactly what's going on. And so this little Connecticut hospital has started to use hyperbaric chambers based on the New York University research. And, um, and I posted that um, the morning, uh, uh, Tuesday morning, um, and uh, did some testimony at the state capitol here on some bills uh, Tuesday afternoon. And I checked my Facebook post and, uh, and I, I, for seven days, I'm restricted against speaking up, you know, restricted in my free speech as a physician at I, this critical time in a I, war theater environment. Against I somehow feel and this, used now. This, this also happened to me in, in December I, for four days. Same, same Ed, issue. Yeah. This is me trying to say, I, I got that little housekeeping duty. That I have oh, to. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about at the genetic level. I don't know about the molecular level. Maybe that's coming one day. But right now, Neogen can look at the DNA fingerprint of your animals. And we can know what genomics, what alleles are present. In the case of Piedmontese, we look for that tenderness gene, which is the myostatin gene. It's all about shining a light on your genetic future. People are even testing their pets, not for tastiness, but for origin to see where they come from. It's all about the genomic activity. Just taking a look, a snapshot of what's going on. Neogen.com. We're back with Dr. Ted Fogarty. More Roll Route after this. Welcome back to Roll Route. Trent Loose on a red shirt Friday. Dr. Ted Fogarty who thought that it would just be so cool to be standing in front of the North Dakota state Capitol broadcasting, explaining that while he was testifying this week, censorship of information that would cure not only COVID, but most of the issues that people have. And now he's realizing it was way, it was a way cool idea. In fact, maybe a cold idea. Yes. Well, my thumbs are getting numb just uh, as they used to all the time in uh, May when I was doing my swim swim team practices and uh, and uh, doing workouts at uh, Omaha Field Club, and so it's uh, it's it's not a not a too big of a, a a problem. And if I do get frostbite today, 
I can just go get in my hyperbaric chamber and clear that up. I, you're ahead of me. I was going to say, if you get frostbite, you got it covered. Our oldest is a registered dietitian, now working in a, a hospital and a nursing home, um, a senior rehabilitation center, I think. Anyway, she has become fascinated with wound healing and from a dietary standpoint, but she's also latched on to the impact of hyperbaric chambers and wound healing. It must be just a wonderful thing. And I know you touched on all of this when you were here a couple of weeks ago, and our main focus today is the censorship of what we actually know about helping people. But she was all excited yesterday and is studying that there's like no end to what this barometric pressure feeding oxygen to your cells can accomplish. Yeah, there really it there is no end. You know, we we can reverse dementia, which Dr. Harch down at LS, LSU and I have done here at, at UND. Um, we have you know horrible pediatric anoxic brain injuries from near drowning events, which we have. You know, Dr. Harch has basically a case series of about fifty children over the last thirty years that have actually been restored, recovered, and, and brought back to life, essentially, uh, with uh, hyperbaric medicine techniques. And, you know, my favorite story still is that uh, this kind of shocks some people and scares some people, but it's a revelation um, that uh, people need to hear, is that we can bring back the dead within 20 minutes with hyperbaric oxygen technology at six atmospheres and 100% oxygen. It's, it's uh, certainly a uh, a very difficult uh, endeavor that needs to be only done by the world's finest experts in hyperbaric medicine, such as we have at LSU uh, with Dr. Keith Van Meter and Dr. Paul Harch. But, um, you know, uh, in, in regards to transitioning to what the pathophysiology is with COVID, and it's causing small strokes and... Um, uh, it's causing a post-COVID syndrome. Um, I, I know of a number of my colleagues and physicians, one of whom I practiced with here in Bismarck a few years back, um, Dr. James Martin. He was a University of Pennsylvania hyperbaric uh, fellow and uh, emergency medicine doc. And uh, one, one night when he was on call in the emergency room, he had a... Uh, an attorney come in who was uh, having a massive stroke and he just took the bull by the horns and said, you know what? Uh, I've been doing research in this realm. And uh, he told the family, uh, I feel strongly by what I know as a physician that we should just put your husband into a hyperbaric chamber right now, which I will supervise. And that's what he did. And he recovered uh, this gentleman, an attorney, I believe, as the story goes, um, from a massive stroke and then was uh, uh, really sanctioned uh, in the next month by his peers for doing something that was not approved under mm-hmm. medical billing codes, but clearly an intervention that saved this man's life and his brain and his ability to practice law. So these censorship these issues... Yeah. Are, are handcuffing, and I mean, you know, just in simple medical, medical communications, these censorship issues are handcuffing the knowledge base of all of our nation's physicians. But uh, when you get into 
you know, the actions that, uh, that are very bold and brave physicians are taking, such as Dr. Corey with ivermectin, um, to save lives. And they're, they're continually getting, you know, I don't care if it's hyperbarics or if it's some other thing that a physician has brought into the innovative scope of practice for, for saving lives in COVID-19, um, across the board, all of these physicians are getting, um, censored. And Dr. Corey was on a YouTube video over last weekend, last Saturday with, uh, one of my colleagues in science, Dr. James Lyons Weiler out out in Pittsburgh. And once they posted that YouTube video on the use of ivermectin, in all of Dr. Corey's critical care patients that he's used it in across a number of hospital systems. The YouTube sensor said, this is a dangerous medical concept. And they, they censored the ability of American citizens to learn from our physicians and scientists on the ground in America Mm -hmm. about this very simple technique of using ivermectin to, uh, therapeutically intervene with intervene with COVID-19 as well. I, I want to jump in just because I, I watched a bit of a presentation of your friend, Dr. James Lyons-Weiler, and he was talking about not only COVID, but what the early research looks like of ivermectin for many diseases, not just in humans, but in animals. And as, as a person that has been involved in the pig business my entire life in the last 30 years, the greatest challenge that we've, we've dealt with from a disease standpoint has been porcine reproductive and respiratory syndrome. And here this medical doctor in Pittsburgh was talking about porcine reproductive and respiratory syndrome. And I'm like, are you telling me that this could be a simple means of helping control PERS? And so I've got a really good friend who I won't name today who uh, is a veterinarian but owns pigs. And I called him and I, I said, have you heard about this? He said, not only have we heard about it, we have a trial taking place right now on one of our farms, and in six weeks we're going to know. My, my frustration on all of that is, Ted, we've had ivermectin since I was 20 years old. And obviously somebody's been covering up vital information to improving not only human but animal health, which makes humans better because your, your food's more abundant and more safe and at a lower cost. This is just anti-human. Yeah, look, Trent, uh, the biggest racket in, in, on the planet right now is U.S. medicine. And, and the, the, the United States veterinarians and farmers and ranchers who all know translationally through simple mammalian evolutionary, uh, uh, evolutionarily conserved pathways, such as are in effect with ivermectin, uh, we all know out in the rural counties and, and in, the, in, the, in the rural places that this stuff really does work. It, and, and it translates, you know, it doesn't translate directly by dose, but it translates in concept to life-saving interventions that are, again, extremely inexpensive. Mm-hmm. And we could be saving our nation. You know, we've spent $3 trillion on this war against COVID-19, basically. And it let's, that's just the real cost. Let's not talk about the, the downstream loss of our economy. But and we've, we've done it through what I consider basically a, a medical tyranny, racketeering scheme, 
and a reverse takeover of our state and local and federal government by my profession, my industry, and, and, and this malignancy. It's an absolute malignancy upon our nation. What is going on with medicine in a war against the disease that did not appear to develop by natural evolution in China, in my opinion, and the opinion of a number of other people who have molecular genetics backgrounds, as I do, from the University of Chicago. Uh, in layman's terms, this virus was created to control people. Yeah, and even if it wasn't, the landscape was prepped so that a virus like this could come out and control people. Yeah. So and, six to one half dozen the other. And then at the next level, you know how to to manage it. I mean, viruses are dangerous. That's what they are. But the human body is comprised of 380 trillion viruses. Were you involved in counting those, by the way? But you have, <laughs> you have a, a means and a mechanism to control this virus that would improve, improve human lives tomorrow. And yet you're being censored by the fact that you're sharing the information. Well, yeah. And I mean, even you know, going back to simple. Going back to simple is where you'll pick it up when we start the second half of yeah. Rural Route. I have to remind you about Lone Creek Cattle Company. And here is an opportunity for you to be a part of a branded beef program, a certified Piedmontese system where you get paid properly. That's what it's about. All farmers and ranchers truly care about is finding a way to take the land that they own, the resources they have, convert them into something that people need, food, fiber, pharmaceuticals, and fuel, and get paid properly. Lone Creek Cattle Company is assisting in that endeavor and providing a beef supply that the consumer really wants. Details at LoneCreekCattleCo.com. Ask Marlon Will about Certified Piedmontese. Second half after this. Welcome back to Roll Route. Trent Lewis, Dr. Ted Fogarty. He doesn't understand the concept of a break. He just keeps going, sharing all <laughs> valuable information. I'm worried about him having frostbite for the rest of his life. He's standing there in front of the state capitol. By the way, we're doing this at sunrise. It's been a wonderful optic to watch the, the capitol in the dark, and now the sun's coming up. It's it's wonderful. Awesome. I'm glad you're enjoying it. Yeah. Um, you know, so we're, we're kind of fast talkers in radiology in America. We, you know, a lot of us are reading 100 films a day and, giving out extremely detailed reports. And so, yeah, um, we, uh, we have a, a bit of conditioned ADHD and uh, uh, pressured speech in radiology as a profession. So, yeah, I'm, um, I'm totally grateful, though, to be able to be out here and practicing some of my Wim Hof technique. Uh, tell us about Wim Hof technique. Yeah, so, so – you know, a little bit of a fun uh, divergence here, but Wim Hof is a phenomenal human being who um, Dr. Tony Bark introduced me to his concepts in, in, um, in extreme, um, I, what would you call it? Thermodynamics at some level, extreme thermodynamic uh, conditioning of the human body. But extreme freaking and, cold weather. <laughs> yes. So, so, so Wim Hof was like in Forbes magazine, I think last month or two months ago. And, um, and he's speaking about how business executives could actually improve their, their processing of information and their decision-making if they would practice some of his techniques, which basically entail, you know, going into very cold environments. And so Wim Hof, I think he actually climbed up 
Mount Everest. And I don't know if he got all the way to the top, but he was like in shorts and, and, and barefoot and no t-shirt. I mean, it was just like the things this, I mean, everybody who's listening to this broadcast, if there's one fun thing that can, uh, you know, be a, an area of investigation for, for yourself, uh, in a cold environment, like we have in the Northern Plains and, uh, uh, front range of the Rockies, look into the, just some of the simple little techniques that you can do to, um, enrich your, your brain and your, and your physiology, uh, by just being out in the cold, uh, intermittently. That's, you know, I, I go walk out on our deck barefoot and take out the trash barefoot every time I can, um, just as a little Wim Hof technique. So, I'm glad to help with your therapy here today. It's all good. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So before we went through that therapeutic uh, rendition of blood flow, uh, I I interrupted you. You were about to respond to my oversimplification that the true answer to improving human lives has been censored. And you said it is simply, and then I had to cut you off. Well, okay. So, this is very simple um, high school-based physics and direct um, current uh, concepts. So we know Ohm's law, which is, describes the relationship between voltage and resistance and current, where voltage equals the current times the resistance. And so when we're hooking up our electric fences on a 12-volt battery, you know, you've got these three kind of things in play. And... Um, and so at the cellular level, the same kind of three things are going on. Uh, it's a little more complex, biologically speaking, but you, you have every cell has a voltage. And in order to increase the voltage potential, you know, we're using oxygen and stripping the electrons of, of, of the oxygen to increase the internal cellular voltage potential against what's outside of the cell. And so that's literally how that's the base root of, of all cellular function is just leveraging the electrons from oxygen that is produced by all the plants on the planet to um, produce energy to then turn on, you know, 8,000 genes uh, are directly related to oxygen concentration gradients at the cellular level. This was a study that was, performed on gene chip t- technology about 10 years ago um, out, out in Connecticut, ironically, um, at Yale, I believe. And so, so, you know, basically oxygen and physics at some level uh, is the foundational uh, thermodynamic uh, concept of, of how all of our cells work. And then when you increase the energy at the cellular level, just like you increase the energy in the economy, uh, all kinds of things can happen. You know, your, your cells become their own pharmacy. And so, so when, we're, when we're using God's mRNA, mm-hmm. okay, so everybody knows what mRNA is now, right? Because of the vaccines. I would assume. Well, when you're using oxygen to produce hundreds of thousands of mRNA species in your own cells that can go out and autonomously fix and repair damage like that caused by COVID-19. Wouldn't you want that for yourself as a human being on this planet? Wouldn't you rather have 
God's mRNA working on your behalf to defeat COVID-19 through the simple physics of a hyperbaric chamber? You mean instead of one that Bill Gates created? Well, Bill Gates is not going to ever create a hyperbaric chamber big enough. I'm talking about the vaccine. But Gary Theraldson, our North Dakota uh, hotelier, billionaire, has already set up a clinic in Fargo, North Dakota with 10 very large monoplace chambers and has worked with some of the people that I know in the industry and has been in discussions with some of the people I know in the industry Mm -hmm. to create giant hyperbaric chambers, super chambers is what we call them. And these super chambers, once they come online in America, uh, because they're already online in Israel, um, are, are going to be revolutionary for care and our economic uh, health and well-being in this country. But to, to give a little shout out and a kudos to the Israelis, Dr. Shia Fradi, who, who um, his group out of Tel Aviv University published in November of 2020 that we can reverse aging with hyperbaric techniques. And get this, Trent, the, the cell population that they used were white blood cells of our immune system and they studied the telomeres. The telomeres are a genetic signature of aging. And so they actually got, the with hyperbaric techniques, they got white cells of elderly Israelis and probably there's some American citizens out in Israel working with Shai Fradi on some of their issues for dementia, et cetera. Right. Which uh, we've pioneered here in America first. But they, they proved that you can reverse the and the term is immunosenescence. And so in COVID-19, the re- one of the reasons why our elderly are more at risk is because they have immunosenescence. Their, their white blood cells do not work as well as a child's or a teenager's or a healthy, you know, 35-year-old's. And so, so these guys proved in a cell biology study with molecular genetic techniques that, hey, we're we're actually turning back the clock on human beings and their white blood cells capabilities. And uh, again, just another phenomenally timed international research report that is just like, what the Fogarty, how come nobody is paying any attention to this? And, and yet Shia Fradi's group now has big chambers in Florida it's called the Aviv Clinic, and you can go. You can go to Florida, or you can go to North Carolina. My uh, my good friend Ed DiGirolamo's uh, clinic at Extavita, and get into a large hyperbaric chamber. And you know, a lot of people have confinement issues, and that's actually something that uh, we lost a life in in a small town in Louisiana. Uh, uh, Doctor Kerry Thibodeau, he. Um, he was the first American physician to use hyperbaric chambers to reverse severe COVID. And one of his patients um, who was responding after the first hour of hyperbarics had a confinement issue and decided not to go in for mm-hmm. a second hour. And I was raised that when you weren't looking because I can't even sit by the window in an airplane. That's how claustrophobic I get. Yeah. I, and that's a big issue for us in radiology too. MRI scanners, especially. Yeah. And so what we do need are grand, large spaces of increased pressure to uh, really accommodate the needs of our entire nation for hyperbaric healing. 
Speaking of an airplane, and this is some information that you and I have talked about off air, but we need to bring it to the forefront. You could literally get a hyperbaric treatment every time you fly. Yes and no. So here's, here's the thing. When you're in an airplane, you're actually, you're going from the tarmac at say in New York city at 14.7 PSI. And you're, you're taking off and you're immediately losing 20 to 25% of the air pressure around you. And so it's like climbing a mountain very rapidly. Mm -hmm. And so in the airplane, the pressure um, goes down to about 11.5 PSI. So that's, you know, three PSI drop basically ballpark uh, on a scale of, you know, zero to 15 ballpark is, you know, 20% drop in your pressure. And so, um, but so as again, another translational regulatory um, uh, discernment of the truth here, uh, when, when you are in an airplane at 10,000 feet pressure, but at 30,000 feet uh, flying through the air, and then you land in like say New Orleans for two hours, you're, you're basically at 11 PSI and then the act of landing is the pilot is actually acting like a mild hyperbaric technologist and increasing the air pressure on your body by about three uh, to four PSI. And so it's that concept that I used in Colorado um, where you are right now with um, my dear uh, family friends, the Costcas from Fargo and um Bobby Costco lives at a, a, a ballpark pressure of about you know, 10.5 PSI. Um, and last fall, Carolyn and the kids and I went up to their house um, in Gibson and installed a mild hyperbaric chamber. And then, uh, irony of ironies, Ruthie met Bobby when she was a flight attendant and Bobby was playing baseball for the Minnesota, Minnesota Twins. And so she was a virtual flight attendant for her husband to basically fly every day uh, physiologically uh, and, and go through these three to four pounds per square inch um, pressure changes. But he was diving, of course. So he was basically as physiologically as, as if they, they just, you know, took off out of the mountains and then flew straight down to Omaha, stayed in Omaha for an hour and then came back. Um, Omaha is about 14 PSI. Yeah. I have a PSI issue. It's called time restraints. Watch the stand at Paxton <laughs> County on Netflix. The stand at Paxton County on Netflix. Last segment roll out after this. All right, let's get this done. I don't want you to get hypothermia. Hey, I'm I'm fine. My core temperature is fine. I I may, I may have to get in the the hyperbaric chamber just to re- reverse my left pinky fingers uh, evolving frostbite. Three, two, one. Welcome back to Royal Route, Trent Loose, alongside Dr. Ted Fogarty, who's been standing in front of the state capitol. That's a wonderful shot right there. POWs and uh, United States flag flying behind him. Uh, Ted, I truly enjoy driving a team of horses. I love driving my team of horses with the chuck wagon. 
in fact, was in the 4th of July parade, Independence Day parade in uh, Brush, Colorado, where I'm at at this moment one year. It was a fantastic experience. <clears throat> I do appreciate a vehicle, a car, because it is, I mean, simply it's a little more efficient to get from Colorado to Bismarck, if that's what you want to do. And I'm walking you through this whole process because I appreciate the car. I really don't care how the car is made, but you're so passionate in telling us the intricate details of how the car is made. I don't even want to interrupt you. You're, you're giving me way more information at the molecular level than will ever be beneficial to me, but you're so passionate about it. I just like to sit here and, and marvel at, at how well you do. Building. Well, thank you, sir. I'm talking about building a human, not a car, but anyway, it, it's just like, turn you on and you go. Well, you know, that's been kind of my calling um, since childhood. I feel like I've, um, I've been meant to be a bit of a broadcast journalist and, and teacher and educator from uh, the point of science and medicine. And uh, it's just followed me all through my career into being the chair of radiology for the University of North Dakota School of Medicine for 13 years until um, uh, last summer I handed that um, the football off to one of my my former students here in Bismarck, Luke Roller. He's an amazing radiologist and young physician who's doing some great things. But um, in respect to our um, hyperbaric discussions, you know, uh, I got to give a big shout out to Senator Kevin Kramer and Senator Hoven and Congressman Armstrong who really, you know, they worked very closely with Gary Theraldson and Daphne Denham and a number of other physicians in Fargo and brought in uh, all kinds of federal officials to Healing with Hyperbarics and really just made the case for how we need to have more hyperbaric research going on in our veterans uh, uh, with PTSD and TBI. And so um, uh, Donald J. Trump our uh, most recent president had signed in, I think it was October, a, a bill to have the VA and the DOD um, get together and, and fund more research. It's, it's, um, it's not enough. It's honestly, it's not enough uh, resources. Um, but if we, if we translated the, the, the big need for big chambers through the, the aircraft HBOT dot org site that um, I was a part of in networking and help build. Um, we could turn online an entire fleet in this nation of hyperbaric aircraft. So when an aircraft is sitting on the tarmac um, and an industrial compressor is plugged into the aircraft to test the cabin pressure and um, the safety issues in aircraft. This happens as a preventive maintenance thing all the time. And um, and, and in particular, uh, the safety awareness of, of decompression problems with aircraft really uh, got um, sparked with when, when Payne Stewart and his um, private jet crashed in South Dakota um, in the late 1990s. And, and so uh, the general... Uh, aviation and, and cabin pressure uh, issues and small aircraft issues. Um, and, you know, like Duncan Aviation there in, in Nebraska and Iowa. Um, uh, th- there's, there's just a meticulous, a meticulous um, uh, crew of people every year testing 
the cabin pressures of all of these aircraft to make sure that there's no leaks at the doors and at the windows. And, and, and in, in doing that, what they're actually doing, they're actually using the same pressure protocols that Orville Cunningham at the University of Kansas used on the first hyperbaric reversal of a pandemic virus in 1918 at the University of Kansas. And so it's, just, just it's basically mad. 50% more pressure. But you're telling me that we had this at, at the, the pandemic of the Spanish flu. Here we are 100 and some years later, Ted, and we're still not using it at the basic level. How many people's lives would be saved at the VA if they would just endorse what you what you know works? Um, over the last 100 years, we've lost millions of American lives to obstinance and misunderstanding of the basics of God's most important molecule and gradient at the cellular level, which so, turns on all of our mitochondria. For those just joining us, we started this conversation because you were censored this week from a social media platform because you're simply talking about all these concepts. Um, I, I know we always ask, well, what's the solution? The solution is more people get loud and make sure that you just can't, no, it can't go away. Is that, right. is that the simple answer? Yes. And I do believe um, my dear national treasure mentor in hyperbaric medicine, Dr. Paul G. Harch, has, has gotten so much grassroots support around the world for the, these concepts that it is never now going away. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ed Strathman asked the question, is Mayo looking at, interested, or utilizing any barometric pressure? Uh, barometric pressure. Mayo, Mayo likes to keep everything close to the cuff. And um, let me tell you a little story about Mayo Clinic. They they tried to get Gary Theraldson to donate $10 million to a hyperbaric research project uh, involving acute concussion reversals. And uh, I led the conference call on that. And they were advocating for uh, uh, sham controls, which are unethical in device-based medicine. And so uh, I got off the phone with Gary and I just said, look, you know, uh, what really needs to be done and what what you and I and Daphne Denham and everybody in hyperbaric medicine already knows is that this works. This is an acute problem uh, when we have an acute concussion. You have, you know, acutely damaged neurons. And in the cardiology world, when we have acutely damaged neurons in the heart and we have AEDs in every shopping mall, bringing back through the spark of electricity uh, through direct current, we're, we're reviving all these neurons in people's hearts to bring them back to life. So uh, from an ethical standpoint in um, resuscitative medicine, you know, we, we can't be as physicians advocating to for... Uh, all these double-blinded studies uh, in an acute, in acute um, crisis uh, matter. And, you know, I, I told the, the Mayo team, I said, we would be remiss if there was a, a young family and a mom with a, an injured hockey player in Bemidji, Minnesota, driving into uh, the Sanford Bemidji uh, Hospital for a sham run of hyperbaric medicine to treat 
her child's acute concussion and on the way they got into a car accident now so now you see where the ethics of transportation mm-hmm. actually play a role into what are the risks of travel to uh, participate in a research study that has a sham that is, in my opinion, completely unethical. And a lot of the surgeons in the country and in this world have also advocated that device-based medicine is, is it's, it's very slippery to, to do it, to do any kind of sham, to, to sham somebody into believing that they had a surgical event or a procedure, uh, uh, fix their medical problem um, is really kind of unethical. And so that's where the medical docs uh, versus the, the surgeons and the radiologists and the device-based physicians, there's, there's a big dividing line in uh, what we should be calling evidence-based medicine. So Ted, we have uh, two minutes left, just so you know. And my answer to every question is always the same. We live in a representative republic, and the reason that we get in positions that we're in is because people are too quiet, they're too complacent instead of getting involved, and they don't want to be the target, they don't want to be this or that. But if we have an issue like medicine and and a component of healthy living that has been um, stymied because not enough people know about it, the answer is quite simple. More people continue to talk about it, continue to ask questions, ask their elected officials, just start everything at the grassroots level is my answer for all questions. And this one I think is huge because every single person who's listening or watching has a a family member that's been impacted that could have been saved and not just saved, but saved for a a quality of life. That's the moral of the story. You're improving quality of life with these techniques. This is uh, critical in every movement, um, uh, especially those in our capital-based economy where we have non-proprietary ideas that can do a lot of Ben Franklin and uh, save a penny. Um, and a stitch in time saves nine as well. So there's, there's, a, you know, there's a big disconnect um, between these large... Uh, powerful corporate entities and global companies who want to keep us locked into their marketplace versus um, those of us who have free uh, sovereignty over our own bodily decisions, not being told um, and educated about some of the more simple techniques that are absolutely life-saving. And so, um, you know, in the political context, this, this again circles back into what I feel in my opinion as a United States physician, I feel that in the midst of this war against COVID-19, we have uh, Dr. Redfield and Dr. Burks and, and Dr. Uh, Tony Fauci uh, abusing their station, abusing our tax base in defining a lot of this uh, very inexpensive therapeutic intervention across many different lines of thought uh, uh, that should have been employed to stop the pandemic. That'll be the final word. Again, grassroots is the answer. Get louder, ask more questions. Dr. Ted Fogarty is leading the way. Thanks for enduring that cold. And um, I hope you got a big 
uh, hyperbaric chamber so that you don't get claustrophobic when you get home and fix that frostbite you got going on. I lost you again. All right. I don't We're know out of time. Matter. I was trying to be funny. It didn't work. Thanks, Ted. We've journeyed down the road connecting rural and urban America. Both of us remind you that all roads do lead to a rural route.